Hello, ladies and gentlemen. This is Simon Anthony and Torty Talks. The following recording was made under very sad circumstances, broken this, that and the other, and uh, we can only apologise for the awfulness, but the quality of what we were talking about is, I think, worthy of, uh, of keeping and passing on to the rest of the world as a talky talk. I, uh, I hope you can work it out. This is one of several of these talks which shall be coming to you this week. Uh, owing to a complete lack of technical ability on my part and, and long Covid lockdown of my brain, um, things are a complete mess and this is being hosted by the person I'm attempting to interview, James Sinfield. Hello, James. Good afternoon. This is a musical interview, uh, interview, at least that's what we're going to be talking about. And a thing that has often uh, interested me is the way in which certain pieces of music or certain types of music can uh, elicit emotions. I mean, that's a fairly obvious sort of thing, but specifically humour. Now, um, there's several ways that I can think of of, of making a, a piece of music actually make somebody else laugh or, or happy. Um, and I'm wondering what your views on this are and if you've got any uh, examples of music that you think might make anybody from any society smile a bit or maybe roll around. In terms of, I mean, in terms of classical music, I mean, if you go back to the um, uh, late 1700s, where you've got, for example, the example of um, Joseph Haydn, who introduced the whole idea of humour and music, which was not actually designed to be, oh, it was not a luck, it was just amusing, like the surprise symphony, for example. Indeed, yes. Um, but I mean, what's interesting is, I mean, what people don't seem to realise is that. Um, Ferenc List or Franz List comes under two different names. Um, he was the one who actually designed the whole idea of a recital. So, um, in Ferenc List's time, we have um, loads of different um, performers, violinists, and then someone else would come on stage, and there was actually no attention paid to the actual music. It was more like a, a, um, a social event where people just. A soiree. Yes, yeah, so it was. Um, so people didn't really kind of really pay much attention to music. Um, Disgraceful. Yes, I mean you can't even you can't even cough. <laughs> I mean if you, if you feel really bad about even coughing during a, a recital or precisely, you, you can't clap between individual movements of um, a concerto or a symphony. Certainly so, not. I mean things that oh, I don't really kind of. Um, I would always found the very um, virtuosic um, music that seems very. I mean, for example, Henry Charles Little, Charles Henry Little, and his and his scherzo. Yes, very yeah. glittery piano passage. Just kind of just something nice to listen to that you don't have to pay too much attention to. That um, so you just don't have to really put so much attention into kind of oh, I've got to listen to this. Like you would do a Beethoven uh, Tchaikovsky symphony, which was quite um, taxing <laughs> on the senses, especially if you're listening to three of them first performances on one day in the cold. <laughs> yes, I mean, especially, I mean, apart from the, the Polish symphony, I mean, they're quite, I mean, the Pathetic is just absolutely kind of just 
it's just too much for me to <laughs> even sometimes on a, not a lot of laughs in the pathetic no no it's well it's very very sad i mean i think music towards um the late 18, 1800s start became a bit more serious with wagner in his epic um ring cycle you've got um again smiles don't spring to mind in the ring it's all just tragic and death and even with um your standard um operas like like it's all kind of how many people i mean even in even in shakespeare i mean how many people die in shakespeare oh quite <laughs> yes very very um it becomes very morose there's not much to smile about when it- <laughs> Uh, uh, apart from if, if, if you're thinking, is this person actually going to die? And then they're walking around saying, arg, arg, for about half an hour. But, uh, that can be fairly humorous, but uh, not not intentionally. I think it was all fun and fun and games until Beethoven took his more um, serious approach and just turned music into the, as he got to the romantic periods, uh, it became yeah, a, bit, a bit more serious. I think Mozart was very, very, very light-hearted. I mean, people treat his music so seriously, but, I mean, not much of his works were just uh, produced on a whim, I mean... So you think the portrayal in the, the film Amadeus was accurate? That it was accurate for him as a person. I mean, that's, what, that's exactly what he was like as a person. He was, I mean, wrote a, a piece of music about yeah, flatulence. <laughs> <Christ>. <laughs> yes. Um, all these current depictions of um, composers seem to be very inaccurate. <laughs> As a really serious, I mean, he was, his Mozart, his, his piano sonatas, he actually, um, people criticized them, but they weren't really generally serious pieces of music. I mean, he used to improvise on his piano sonatas and you couldn't do that in a concert now or you'd be, come to some scrutiny. So he's put, people do put him on a pedestal as a serious composer when he's a lot of his stuff. Just as a quick, quick side, when, when a composer is improvising and he's, he's got the spark running through his brain, how can that ever be copied out? It's, I mean, this is something which I wish that people did nowadays. With, um, back in, in, when, in Beethoven's time, Mozart's time, where people had piano duels, and of course you can't transcribe, they just, they just have such an extremely strong sense of harmony, they can just... One day, someone would have a theme and it would be made up and then someone else would have their turn. I mean, Clemente and Mozart went at it quite a lot <laughs> in their heyday. Um, I mean, you, you, I think the most recent example I think you would have um, is in Scott Joplin's era in Ragtime, where they, once again, basically shows a virtuosity. But, I mean, you can't, it can't be transcribed. It's pretty much just a, a work that it just, it just happens. It just exists and it fits. It's gone. I mean, the composer probably won't be able to recreate it. It's just um, in the moment. Yes, yes, indeed. It's part of its part of its beauty is is, is that. But then, uh, when a, when a work is composed, the the levels of complexity uh, are often much deeper. Although the uh, uh, what is it, the, the moment may not be quite so um, enticing. Um, because of the complexity, uh, you, you know, you, you gain on one side and lose on the other. But have you got examples that you can say of music that always make you smile that you think somebody else from a completely different social social background, different country, different language, maybe even, uh, would find funny? Is that something that is possible? Oh. 
I mean, funny thing is, in Beethoven's early works, he did insert little musical jokes, but obviously because of the time, I mean, he had a very um, famous piano sonata number 16 in G major where the two hands sounded like they weren't together. And for the time, people wouldn't really appreciate or understand it now. <laughs> because we just don't have we, it's like comedy films comedy like carry on films people don't tend to find it funny because humor moves on when we think about music and and media it just changes so to make me smile I mean I always like listening to Scott Joplin um, love the red time I tend to play it quite often myself actually because it's just very accessible um, oh you're just showing off now <laughs> <laughs> I mean it, from a harmonical perspective, it's actually not too, it's not really that difficult. It's, it's just amazing that, um, it doesn't really get much of a platform in recitals because it's not really given much respect, I don't think. But that always, I think, lots to do with Chopin, um, his etudes always make me, um, very quite jolly, um, especially the, um, Opus 10 sets. Well, I mean, I don't really kind of, um, put on something to think I want to make I want to feel this way I just I think sometimes it can evoke a completely different set of emotions one hearing and then and another hearing you might feel completely different it just depends on the um, pretty, pretty, pretty much your mood at the time but example wise I could just cite Beethoven sonatas definitely Mozart sonatas Haydn symphonies um, all the over a hundred that he wrote uh, the clock symphony the surprise symphony but just it's amusing but it just doesn't make it's it, there's nothing that gives me a oh hello <laughs> a belly a belly full of laugh a belly like a ha 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 it just not one of those I, I don't think I want that to be honest with you to be honest with you I mean I'm not sure about yourself have you got any any anything in mind that you could cite well there are there are pieces that uh uh, the um, Shostakovich uh, Piano Concerto, the one which uh, has a trumpet solo in it as well. I can't remember if it's number one or two. There is one performance. Sorry, did you say something? Number two in A minor, it might, it might be that. Um, it, it gets quite loud towards the end. And there's a, a beautiful bit where the, 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 the trumpet soloist is, is playing fruitily and the piano just goes, Chang! and so on and so forth. But the, the impact of this sort of prattful sound on the piano in, the, uh, in, in interrupting the, 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 uh, the, the, the trumpet solo, which was beautiful and, um, and uh, melodious, um, can, and I emphasize can, be played not so much for laughs, not um, uh, deliberately, but um, like a, 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 a if if a comedian is is trying to make you laugh, it's obvious, and they may well fail. But um, if something is of itself actually funny, uh, then when it's played to do that. It, makes, it, it delights me. I've only heard one performance where that's worked. Um, and um, the, the, of, as a specific work, that's one. But in a general term, I find um, 
orchestral um, music transcribed for the uh, steam organ. Uh, the musical, uh, the, the, these gargantuan uh, instruments and fairgrounds uh, playing just about anything um, with such seriousness, but with silly noises, effectively. Uh, it can crack me up almost every time I dissolve into mirth. Um, but I haven't noticed anybody else doing that. I think what actually comes to mind, obviously we had the whole 1700s with Mozart and Haydn trying to be funny with the human music and then obviously the 1800s with all seriousness and Liszt Chopin taking things very seriously. But actually Sarti, um, I mean he died, I think in, well, I think he, he actually died on my birthday. He actually oh. tried to generally actually try to um, be funny with his vexations and he named pieces of all I mean everyone just thinks of Shotsati and they think the Nossians and the Fusionopolis but he he got his vexations and he wrote something about um, a, a dog fetus or some really obscure strange names which try to be comical I mean I don't know how much I, I haven't got the humour in piece three pieces the shape of a pear at all I, I you know, the, the joke slips past me somehow it just doesn't um <laughs> More with the comedy from a musical perspective came more towards. I don't know if you've heard of Victor Borgia. I'm not sure. Oh, indeed. And it, um, he was absolutely, absolutely brilliant. And he, yes, he he was the classical style of humour um, with Liszt and Rhapsody and all these different kind of musical jokes, which was actually really enjoyable to watch. And actually, that is definitely, especially when he um, did a collaboration on a on the Hungarian Rhapsody, and they took turns and they kind of all, they all kind of choreographed it very nicely. It was actually really funny to watch. And I, I could do that <laughs> watching that again and kind of we used to play on all the kind of um parodies or all these kind of classical tropes with the back opera singer and um the um the flautist and the, and the, all these kind of um cliches that come with the orchestral players and the person who plays the triangle <laughs> gets gets tap the triangle during um uh, the eighteen twelve overture. <laughs> so <laughs> counting, counting, counting. Missed it. Oh. <laughs> And there's a um, the, the synchronicity sheet music falls on the floor, and there's so many um, funny videos of that um, nightmare page turn, page turning as well. And I've, I've experienced horrible page turning nightmares at least <laughs> in my career, where the, um, I was playing a forehand piece of music with my um, colleague, and suddenly uh, didn't turn the page. So I all give each other a glance, say, "Let's do the repeat again," and then I had flipping. <laughs> And another time when I was, and my um, colleague who was page turning couldn't read music, and she was a year 11 student, and she didn't page turn, and I was accompanying in front of a, um, a large crowd. Ah. That, it, it worked out, but it's just page turners. I just absolutely, um, yeah, they're, they're, they're never very good. <laughs> oh dear. And after that, I can try to memorize my music after that. <laughs> um, <laughs> I remember Clifford Curzon's Page Turner. Oh, I can tell that story. Uh, well, it, uh, he, um, uh, he used to come and chat to us in the prom queue, as I was an inveterate prommer when uh, such a thing was a possibility. Um, this was some 30 years ago. And 
uh, he, he used to sort of come and have a ch chat with us and, uh, and <laughs> we had no idea who he was until uh, the, the concert started and there he was on stage. Oh, <laughs> right. <laughs> Interesting. But, um, yes. So uh, that wasn't, wasn't quite the joke. But, uh, I, I find um, um, trying to th th think of um, circumstances where uh, the, the the humor of work is um, in, integral to its musicality. That if you were to play it humorlessly, uh, it's there, there's there's no point in the work at all. Um, and uh, I, I I think that has was true uh, in the um, the first performances of Mozart I heard, uh, which is extremely dull and. Um, and ploddy and just sort of there for people to be chatting to each other over, um, which it was, uh, you know, there I was standing in the front of the queue, been waiting all day for it, and I felt hard done by it. And then one day I went to the back of the hall because I thought, oh no, it's another piece of Mozart. And it was um, a um, uh, a wind uh, a wind work, thirteen wind instruments, and it was absolutely beautiful. It was the beginning of the. Um, uh, Did I mention this last time we chatted? I think we may have done. Ah, uh, uh, good. Well, anyway, the, but the point was, I heard the quality of the music, the interplay of the pieces uh, of of the instruments, uh, sort of one talking to the other and back and forth and back and forth and it was delightful um i could hear why the composer had written it like that and i think if, if i if i can hear a reason for the way in which something is composed i can get a great deal of pleasure out of it but if i feel the musicians don't feel that there's almost no point in the work that's why, I mean, when it comes to Mozart, I think his chamber work, such as an absolute gem, like his quartets, um, because it's just a rhetoric and the, and the conversation between the instruments, which is what, what was intended. But musicians who don't study performance practice and like to play Mozart piano sonatas with all the airing, elegance and grace, which was not what it was intended by Mark Tuttle himself. I mean, they were very carefree. You see the pianist play the Mozart sonata for seal in very famous K545. K545, the Sonata of the Seal. Um, you see, play it with just as if it's just so elegant and graceful that it's just it's a very non serious work. And along with many of the Sonatas. So, um, people aren't really understanding the context of when music was actually written. They're not performing it properly. And like, you're, you're rather muffled. Oh, am I? Sorry, apologies. Is that better? Thank you. Oh, that's much clearer, yes, yes. So, I, I think people aren't performing it in terms of almost practice in the way that it was intended. It's just very, very serious and morose, and it's not how Mozart would have, would have played it, according to historical record. Yeah, I just wanted to make another comment about what the layman, I mean, like you said about the concert goer, and you said you went to the back of the hall. I mean, the average concert goer who doesn't really understand like of going to complete oh let's sit up right at the front which is actually acoustically the worst experience you can actually have because <laughs> i mean when i go to concerts i close my eyes i don't need to perform because i go to to listen and of course 
as you know, you'd go for 10 rows back, which is actually where the most expensive seats are, and not at the front, where you just get ah. vibrations of the, of the instrument rather than actually... So, yeah, that's, if you can tell you've been to a good concert if you can have a good experience at the back of the hall. They're showing they think they're projecting very, very well. So you don't like the front of the... of, of um being close to the instruments, because I most certainly do. Absolutely. It's nice because you're close to someone really important, but I think if it's a piano recital, I'll be slightly more um, forgiving because of it's one instrument, but if it's um, anything, any chamber works or cash flow, I'll make sure I'm at least 10 rows back. Ah, uh, well, that's very kind of you. I appreciate that. <laughs> I find... If there's just one row of people in front of me, acoustically, I suffer. I can hear, at least I, I most certainly could when my hearing was as good as it has been, the, the effect, the muffling effect of just one row of people in front of me. Okay. It, it's, um, it's, it's absolutely uh, electric to be that close as, as a, a non-performer and hear all the extreme subtle sounds that, 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 that come from the instruments. There is a problem with this, uh, to say, say for a, a full orchestra. Um, and I'm I'm right up there with uh, you know, the, the the leader uh, a couple of feet away from me, literally less than six feet, and uh, and uh, the f first row of the cello is <laughs> just slightly further away, and uh, there's each bloke in the middle with a stick flapping about. <laughs> I'm that close. That is perfect for me. The downside is I don't hear the woodwind very well. Yes, the balance is not a recorded performance, but I'm at a live performance and I want to hear the life which does not often make it onto a recording. I had an extraordinary experience because I, I used to work for the BBC and um, I had the opportunity to go into the uh, sound uh, studio that's uh, in the least was in the, the Royal Albert Hall. During a uh, uh, a rehearsal, at, um, um, oh yeah, um, I, I could remember the name of the conductor up until when I started the sentence. Uh, it says, "No, no, no!" Before then, before then, um, as uh, Elgar Symphony Number no. One, um, conducted by the conductor who brought uh, Holst's planets to life, Asa Adrian Bolt. There we are. Um, he was conducting, BBC Symphony Orchestra was playing, and there was one set of microphones, a cross-stereo pair, just up and behind the conductor's head. And that is absolute magic sound, because the microphone was equidistant from all of the instrumentalists. And, well, as close as you can get. Uh, and and because it was up and high, there was no muffling. All, all right, some of the instruments were not pointing at it. Most of the woodwind was called bouncing off the floor first, but it was as good as you could possibly get. The sound engineer, though, had a massive desk covered in faders, and each fader had a microphone on it. 
and he faded them up one after another after another and the sound got worse and worse and worse. And then he said, and now the pièce de résistance fill, he said, and faded up two microphones which were at the back of the hall, which added echo to it. I was almost crying in pain at the end of that. It was so, so sad. The reason I mention it now, though, is lockdown has resulted in different way of miking up an orchestra. Uh, because they are so far apart, you can't get them with one single mic, and, you, and, and, and they spot them, they position them acoustically. It's not a real sound, but you can again hear all those subtleties, and for the first time, I can hear the subtleties in the woodwind as well. And I think, oh, and I, I, I've listened to several concerts recently and heard lines in the, the orchestration which I've never been able to hear before. They just weren't there. And as I can't read music, or I can follow it, but I, 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 I can't read it, I was utterly unaware that there's so much of works that I've known and loved for 30, 40 years that was brand new to me. Magical. And um, it's got nothing to do with laughter apart from the fact that uh, it gave me joy. Yeah, um, oh, that must be. It, it, it reminds me of something you mentioned last time about the conductor. Obviously, you've got Beethoven um, and his, his work that cross um, a period of time where one conductor wants to play it really fast and one wants to play it really slow. And I mean, what happens when the um, instrumentalist wants to say, I, I don't think it should be played like this? I mean, it's the conductor's choice. Am I, am I correct? It's his decision. Oh, that's yeah. Because I've heard some horrible renditions of Beethoven's Fifth Symphony played at horribly slow pace. I mean, it's just losing, losing flow. It, it, it can work. It can work, but you do have to be Otto Klemperer to make it work, and only sometimes. <laughs> I mean, I suppose it's, it just depends on <laughs> what hazard the conductor is. I mean. <laughs> Yes. Sometimes it's nice to listen to, um, when I went to Cadogan Hall, I listened to chamber orchestras and sometimes it was no conductor at all. I'm just wondering how effective, um, because I'm, I know that, um, pianists actually are responsible for being conducting at the piano, like, indeed, yes. Because would often, um, sit at the piano to conduct, Beethoven himself conducted, um, he always wanted to conduct himself. He'd, he'd really like to be told what to do. So it's just very interesting sometimes if it's nice to have no conductor and just let musicians just um, be free to play. I mean, before, before conductors were even around, I mean, they used to be the double bass used to be responsible for keeping time. I didn't know that. I thought it was always the leader, uh, hence the name. Yeah, um, apparently the double basses were, um, and he, um, I think, I think it was when you had in the 1600s you had Johannes Baptiste Lully. I'm not sure if I pronounced his name correctly. He with the bloke with a big stick. Yes, oh, you know, yes, <laughs> bang his stick in it. Yeah, I think he died by hitting his own foot. And Indeed, yes, <laughs> blood poisoning when he crunched his yes. big toe. Yes, um, he was <laughs> he was a notable paedophile as well. So, <laughs> wasn't he also the fellow who shot his wife and her lover? And uh, oh, is that? 
not ah. too sure that is not mm. to bring some uh, yes again it's drifted somewhat from the humor and music side about <laughs> talking about it <laughs> and indeed laughing but <laughs> yeah. yes um, I mean it's just yeah it's just I mean I, a, a layman um, who, who's not really exposed to classical music or doesn't really know, know how to listen to that probably I mean they I find people I do know who listen to classical music always want to listen to it to help them relax I mean they don't want to feel it they just want to they always want to be calming and melodious but I think sometimes your music can be oh, what really a waste ugly. I know I mean what, why yes. can music not be ugly I mean what, oh. music's brilliant when it's ugly I mean um, Beethoven's classic sonata opens with horrible C minor chords in the lower register it's <laughs> you love your Beethoven yes <laughs> yes Nothing wrong in that. <laughs> I, I like listening to it. I don't like playing it. <laughs> oh, oh. Yeah, I find it's um, yeah, just very, very difficult. I mean, it's obviously, we mentioned this before, how the piano is not really accessible to lots of his sonatas with the whole pedal, pedaling issues and the yep. dampers and all that. Mm-hmm. But no, I don't really think people really listen to music to make them laugh. I think that's not something people really endeavour to access music for it's more to feel relaxed or if they're feeling sadness as well it's just that people like to feel moved the sound quality on this is a terrible disappointment to me as well as uh, to James we apologise what's worse is part two is no better that was one in the series of Torty Talks from Simon Anthony, acting at torty.org.uk.